Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Glory Days of Gold, your East Fife and Scottish football podcast. I'm your host Lee Gillis. And I'm Michael McCall. So going to be talking about the usual stuff this week, bringing you all your usual fun segments. We'll talk, bring you a Fife fan zone on the back of our game against Peterhead. So thank you very much to this week's sponsor, David Garrow from Discovery Leather. Some great products available, um, handmade sort of very small, dinky wallets, but definitely worth having a look at. I managed to test one out myself this week. I bought one. They're excellent and top quality. So if you are looking for maybe a last-minute Christmas present, then give um, Discovery Leather a follow on Instagram and you can find their products to buy on Etsy. So I'm going to go into a bit about something that I read online, Michael, and I sent it to you right away because it was something that piqued my interest. Mm-hmm. And it was to talk about ruling headers out of the game and there's a big lawsuit being brought to the rugby union yes. um, by a, a series of former pros and the, and the fact that they don't feel like they've been protected properly. And there's some guys in their early 40s got early onset dementia. There's been a lot of talk this week on, on talk sport about whether they should rule heading out of football, particularly after Raul Jimenez of Wolves fractured his skull. We had Ryan Mason a few years ago with the same thing. And, you know, I was in the... Uh, my work and I was on my lunch break and I was, I was listening to it and one of the guys was like, how, how can you rule headers at football? And I was like, well, you can't. You know, it's, it's kind of very similar to, you know, if, if you're a boxer, you know, you're, you're going to take blows. Hmm. If you're a footballer, you're, you're going to take blows. Now, bear in mind, this is my opinion. The last time I gave my opinion, particularly on Pele, that's went down like a, a lead balloon with, with some people. But, you know, the, the thing for me is, is, if you're going into a competitive sport that it does involve, you know, being tackled, but the, the potential risk for injury, I don't think that you can rule out heading the ball either. You know, it's, it's if you are a boxer, you're getting, you know, you're going into that to get punched in the face. You've picked that career, you've chosen that career, um, and very, very similarly to football, rugby. UFC, you know, you wouldn't go into a UFC match and expect not to get hurt, very similarly to football, you know. What's your thoughts on that, Michael? It's such an interesting topic. One thing which I always think about with it is, like, back in the day, the balls were heavier. Like, if you're thinking, like, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, the balls were really heavier than they are today. You never heard as much about the dementia side of it from those players. But that might be just because people didn't put the the connection together or they weren't doing the testing and they didn't have the medical experience. Now, dementia is a horrible disease. My mum has it just now. 
it, on my mum's side of the family, both her parents had it. I've been through it a lot, and it, it's it's just it's a horrible disease, and I, I, it just it robs people so much of memories and family members and, and stuff like that. So if there's any way you can prevent somebody getting dementia, I'm all for that. In terms of football, though, yeah, it's difficult because it is a fundamental part of the game. I don't know if you could take it out, but then I thought that when I, I talked about when the one of the amateur leagues came back here under COVID, they they stopped doing throw-ins because you had to do kick-ins, and I was like, "Well, how how's that going to work? Kick-ins instead of throw-ins? That makes no sense." But it actually works really well. So maybe there is a way that you could just make it that you don't head of the ball, but I think it would be tough for players initially to not head it just out of instinct because they're just so used to doing it. And then it would change the whole aspect of the game as well from corners. They wouldn't get floated into the box the same way. Uh, You wouldn't have long balls, which I know some folk don't like anyway, but I mean, it, it certainly would change football. I think it could be done. And I know it's done at a lot of youth levels here in North America. They've kind of taken heading out of various age groups I, I don't know. I'd need to, to know more about it as to how it would work. But if that is proved to be the cause of dementia for players and it's increasing, they have to look at doing something to, to stop it. I, I get that argument. I do. And I'm not being flippant for the sake of it. But, you know, if you are an F1 driver you're going to risk crashing your car. If you're a boxer, you're going to risk being punched in the face. You know, and, and, and my argument to that is, is if you're going into a career knowing the risks, then surely there's got to be a, an element of ownership that you were prepared to accept that these are the sort of things that would happen. Now, I get that dementia is, is horrible, and I, I get that. My, my wife's granddad's got it. It's, it's, it's awful, awful, awful. I, I, totally completely understand how it can ruin families it ruins memories of people it turns them into people they're not i get it i really really do and i'm not diminishing the the, the horrible illness that is dementia the point i'm trying to make is is, is the game of football is, is i don't think that it should it should change for that i think that if that's a risk that you don't want to take then don't play the game but you can also argue, especially the players back in the 60s and 70s and 80s that are maybe suing now and stuff like that, were they aware that that was a risk back then? Like, are current players aware that by heading a ball, they risk getting dementia? I would argue there's a lot of players that don't actually know that that is a risk. And back in the day, they definitely didn't know that that was a risk. Well, if, if, if we take the, the, the current situation, if you, if you look at football as it is now, so I'm, I'm going to use the, the modern day game as an example. You're trying to tell me that if you have got the talent of uh, Cristiano Ronaldo or Messi, you're not going to utilise that talent and be paid the millions that you'll get paid for the sake that you might potentially get an illness. No, I, I, I think most would still choose to do it and still do yeah. the risk, which is why like boxers take the risk because yeah. they, they do know like what, what could happen to them in later years, but they're thinking of the now, they're thinking of protecting their family, et cetera, et cetera. 
I, I'd still like to see more studies that show the link. I mean, it might also just be a simple case of changing the ball. Yeah. And, and doing something with that. I also think concussion protocols need to be a hell of a lot better. Yes, that, that I will agree with. Um, the fact that like in the, the match, which is obviously the, the one that's brought the conversation to light again with David Luiz and Raul Jimenez, I think if it's a head injury of any proportion, it should just be, right, you're, you're coming off because you've got to protect the player. Oh, yeah, because if you ask a player, are you okay? That player is going to say, yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, of course you are. Um, but, you know, it's natural you, you're going to want to get up and finish the game. So I, I think that definitely there, there, there's ways in which we can protect the players, even if they've all got to wear the sort of similar skull caps that Peter, uh, Peter mm. Cech had to wear. You know, who's to say that they can't do something like that? But I, I think that trying to eliminate heading for the game would change the game entirely and not something that I would like to see done. Um, I, I'd you know, like to hear like some players' thoughts on that. And like next time we're speaking to, especially like, a central defender or yeah. say a big tall forward, like because they're yeah. the guys that's probably heading the ball the most. The person that we should get on is Kenny Duker. He would probably be the ideal yes. person, obviously, from a medical background, but then obviously from a former playing background and see what his thoughts are. So there, there's an idea. idea. We'll, we'll potentially reach out to Kenny and, and, and see what his thoughts on that are. But I'm, I'm going to finish with, with this, and, and this is just more of a thought-provoking thing, not of a, a, for any other reason. But in all walks of life, it comes with a risk. You know, you get people, and I'm going to guess the majority of people on this, like a drink. You know that drinking can affect all parts of your body, but you still have a drink. You know, there'll be people on this podcast that smoke. They know that smoking causes cancer, but they'll still light up a cigarette. So there's so many things that we know aren't good for us, but we choose to do. But then, you know, if you, if you smoke cigarettes and you get cancer, you, you don't sue Benson and Hedges. You know, that, that's... Well, they, they do over here in the States, but that's the States. The States... Just do class lawsuits for everything. Yeah, not so much over here. So let, let's talk. Sorry if you are one of our Canadian listeners. I don't know if we do have a few, but you know, if, if you if you are in, in Britain, you know, if you know, you wouldn't sue tenants for for damaging your liver. You know, and I think that there's, you know, particularly when a lot of the time these people in the modern day anyway being paid quite well, not obviously by the the governing body, but by the clubs or whatever and it's just that's just my thought provoker to that is there is obviously there's a risk with everything you do there's a risk every time you get in the car there's a risk every time you get on public transport there's always risks with anything in life and I don't think that we should always go out looking for somebody who's to blame if we are being the ones that are prepared to take the risk yeah last thing I'll say on it is again for me so much of this comes down to concussion protocol and they need to get that better. We've seen some issues over here in MLS over the years that the Whitecaps have lost one of their young goalkeepers this year to, to concussion and, and some other stuff as well, which the concussion didn't show up to a couple of days later. So they just need to do better with monitoring. But I would like to see a lot more research as to yeah. what this is. And if there's some way that they can tweak the game to keep heading in it, like change the ball, where? Maybe even central defenders get to wear the the skull caps or or whatever. Yeah, I mean so, something like that. 
Definitely. Look, if you've got any ideas of what you think would be the ideal way to change the game, or look, if you know, I'm I'm all for having a, a civilized debate. You know, I, I I wouldn't argue with anybody because I mean I don't know. I'm just a phone sales manager. I'm not, I'm probably no more learned than anybody else's. It's just purely my opinion. But if I'm, I'm more than open to to people challenging my thoughts on it, and I will always give you know people the time of day to you know, air their views. That's what having a podcast is about. It's about having conversations that will pique interest. And if anything that we've said, then definitely get in touch in the usual channels. So we're going to move on to this week's Fife Fan Zone on the back of a defeat to Peterhead. Hello everybody and welcome to another week of Fife Fan Zone on the back of yet another defeat on the road. So we're joined by the, the usual suspects, the three baldies and Gordon Henderson. So we've got Michael McCall. Hello there. Doug Perry. Hello, hello. And the man with the third best beard on the podcast, Gordon Henderson. Hello. Let me stop trying to be positive on the Back of yet another defeat on the roads. Um, a game where we failed to pick up any points, despite um, Peter Hedman a man down um, pretty early on in the second half. I wasn't able to watch the game today. Good old Christmas and retail meant that I, I've missed it. But I'm going to leave the talking to the guys that watched it and I'll, I'll chip in with the occasional question. So I'm going to start with a very generic one and ask Michael, where did it all go wrong? Uh, the game went ahead. There was a risk it wasn't going to because of warthogs on the pitch, but they managed to get all the warthogs off. The pitch looked terrible as that game went on. It was cutting up like nothing on earth, which obviously disrupts our beautiful free-flowing style of football that, that we love to play. I think ultimately, though, where it went wrong is Peterhead did exactly what they needed to do at every single aspect of the game because they knew what they needed to do. Whereas we seemed to know that we need to put the ball in the back of the net, but seemed clueless as to how to do it and how to break a team down that is actually defending very well, which Peterhead did fantastically. They defended en masse. They shut down every attack we had. They sniffed everything out. Two great goals from long range from their point of view. Too bad defending on those goals from our point of view. And in a nutshell, we just did not have a, an, an answer as to how to play with the extra man. So, Gordon, early on, uh, it looks like, from what I've read anyway, that we started reasonably well. And it looked like it, it, the game was going to be a bit more end-to-end. But Peterhead took the lead from a corner, which will be a surprise to absolutely no one. Um, that we, we, we failed to defeat, uh, defend a set piece again. What was your take on the goal and the build-up to it? Do you think there's anything we could have done to shut that down better? I mean, it was from a corner, but it was, um, you know, it was the, the, the ball was kind of bobbling about the six-yard box a bit and it broke to a Peterhead player on the edge of the box who was all alone. Um, to be fair, we don't. that's not the usual type of goal we can see for corners, but... It's it's frustrating because I think, I mean, I don't know watching it back, but I assume what's happened is that there's been someone who's 
job it is to cover the kind of edge of the box with the corner coming in. They've got dragged into the middle because that's where the ball's gone. The Peterhead player is just stuck where he's supposed to. It's come back out to him and he scored. It's such a, um, you know, such a basic, basic goal to lose, not having someone at the edge of the box. It's, it's one of my, like, one of the things that annoys me the most in football when we concede goals like that. Um, no, you know, we conceded two today, and we we actually don't tend to concede goals like that a lot. But it's probably just a case of somebody switching off, somebody drifting out of a position. Um, so I think it was entirely avoidable. Um, but I to concede two goals like that in a game is pretty ridiculous. Um, you know, the first goal was a good strike for the Peterhead player. Second goal was a brilliant one, but defensively, it's it's pretty inexcusable because it's so easy to to avoid. Doug, what about your, you, mate? What was your take on it? Uh, the first goal was, yeah, Gordon's bang on. I think the guy got excited by where the ball was and ran back in and left the guy spare. It was a good finish, but you can't, he's a, he's a professional footballer. You can't give a guy that much time and space. And It was a good finish, don't get me wrong, but yeah, it's a set piece. I don't know whether that will go down as a cleared corner because the first header came out of the box. I don't know what the stats men will tell us about that one. But for me, that's a goal conceded from a corner. Um, yeah, and it just kind of summed up the game. As they say, the second one was much the same, although it was a hell of a finish, to be fair, uh, to the real Scott Brown. Um, but yeah, just hugely disappointing again. Both goals were, were taken well. But by Peter Head, and I, I think the fact that they both came from the the fact that we didn't clear our lines, and that we've seen that a couple of times this year. Defensively, we're just not mopping things up the way that we need to. You kind of want to get ahead on it to get it out of the danger area, but then you need somebody on the edge of the box, Gordon, to to just be there to then hoof it up the pitch if need be. And it's not pretty football to do that. But you have to, you can't leave guys at the edge of the box in that much room. And I know they were well-taken goals. The first one, it's just like the keeper was rooted to the spot. There's nothing he could do. The second one, like striking it like that, it's going to beat most keepers, I would think. But you've got to have a guy at the edge of the box. We seem too clustered in the six-yard box and just, just let Peterhead get away with that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a sort of basic thing. It's just anticipation. Like, so the Peterhead, for both goals, you know, there was a Peterhead player who got themselves in the right position because they know that if a cross comes into the box, there's a pretty decent chance it's not going to get cleared properly and it'll just f- fall to the, the D. Um, and, you know, both times today, they've put themselves in that position on the off chance that's where it goes. And both times we just haven't, and it you know it doesn't even require someone to, you know, to kind of get possession or do something with it. I mean, this for both goals. If there was just a man there, if there was just a player close enough to the Peterhead player, particularly the second one, it's a great strike, um, and he hit it. I think first time, but you know, if there's a man on you, you can't do that. You know, um, if there's a man standing in front of you, you can't do that, and. It's just it's just the space that gets left, you know. That's the space you you need someone to be in every time, every time the ball comes in the box. You need some 
somebody on the edge of the box and twice today we just we just let it completely go and they've anticipated it and fair play to them let's kind of rewind it a little bit as well just be, before the first goal so let's really rewind it before the start of the game one change to the team that, that won last week Doug and Dan Young had spoke after the game that this was their jerseys for the for the boys to lose and it was Dunsmore that was the guy that dropped out Danny Denham came into the start which I think it was to try and keep the same shape as last week to provide Slattery with a little bit more cover in front of him. And obviously Denham then gets the the East 5 goal 14 minutes after Peterhead go ahead. I think that made sense. But if you're talking at the end of last week that, well, those boys, it's their jerseys to lose, there wasn't a lot of the guys out there, I felt, that really showed, yeah, I want to keep this jersey. And you've got to ask some questions about a few of the guys going into then a big game now next week. Yeah, I, I didn't have a huge problem with it. I mean, I think of all the players last week, maybe Dunsmore was one that you thought in that sort of formation where you're, you know, you're three up top when you're attacking and you're dropping to one um, when you're defending. I just thought, I thought Dunsmore didn't, really impact the game last week um, as much as, as a lot of players did. So I didn't have a huge problem with that. In fairness to Denham, he he was a decent help to Slattery at left back. I thought, you know, we did okay down that side. Um, but just really poor performances. I, I mean, I actually wrote down that I kind of hoped the awful performance at Partick was a, was a one-off. And now the worry is that Airdrie was a one-off mm. um, in a lot of ways. Um, I, I was thinking about that party game when we were watching it because it's like the party game was the worst I, I feel we've played all season. And then you you look at the game today and we created more. We Well, I say we created more. We had more of the ball. Final delivery wasn't great. But when you look at those two performances against Partick, you can maybe write it off because Partick's a good team. But this was a team I think we should have been beaten today. Did, did it feel like a... Maybe it almost feels like an attitude kind of thing. I mean, we, we talked about the Falkirk game where the weather was awful and they just didn't... I, I didn't think they fancied it. Dan Young mm. thought we did all right. Today, the, the, you know, the weather, the pitch was heavy. Partick, the pitch was heavy. I just It just didn't look much fighting stuff today. I don't know. I mean, you saw Peter Head when they got the man sent off. I know we're, we're going forward a bit, but at least, I mean, they picked up a lot of yellow cards, but oh. that's fine because they're defending for their lives with 10 yeah. men. And, and and they were, you know, they were pretty good fouls to give. And I just, I, I don't know. I, I just found it very frustrating today after last week. It's, it was just a real step back. Yeah. I Like Gordon, our really worst performances this season have all come on the road. They're all on grass pitches. They're all on heavy pitches where it's maybe not been fantastic weather out there as well. I, I was going to jokingly say, oh, maybe we can't play in grass, but maybe that is a factor because we're, we're not training on grass. We're playing our home games not on grass. Are we struggling a bit now when we're on a grass pitch, when it is heavy like that, we've got an older team. Maybe their legs just haven't got it in them to kind of plough through tatty fields the way that they used to. 
it could be, and I think I was, the, you know, the, the last three uh, league games that we got beat, the away games, I think, you know, we've spoke about that and there was a wee bit, you know, maybe this attitude of, all right, but they're tough games. It was the, you know, the top three were away. Maybe there's nothing more into it rather than they're just three really good teams, three tough away games, three defeats. But I think today, you know, I think this is the game that's made me start to think, is there something a bit more into it? Um, I was listening to, there's another podcast through the turnstiles, and I noticed what they were saying about, um, you know, the the home versus away record for East Fife is, you know, they were talking about the size of the pitch at, at Bayview. And I know we brought, I know it used to be a really big pitch and we brought it in a couple of years ago. And and it could be that, I mean, that that could be something that, we, you know, we um, you know, we don't like big pitches. Um, I, I think the the style that we try and play probably Astro suits us better because you saw the pitch today and it was it was just it was an absolute tight field. Um, both teams struggled on it, but I think you know, to be fair, I think Peterhead probably in a team like that they would probably feel that they're okay with that. Um, whereas I think our instinct is. We, we want to at least try to get the ball down and and kind of pass. And you know, we weren't we weren't good enough at it today. There's, the pitch isn't an excuse, but you know, on a heavy pitch, a big pitch, you know, it it might be that that just doesn't suit us, and we're going to lose more um, than we win on pitches like that. Yeah, the the passing Doug was was non-existent. That midfield just it would have been as well not being out there. The amount of times we gave the ball away, just simple passes. That there was one incident in the second half, like Kev Smith had come on, and this isn't a, a shot at Kev. It's just he got the ball, couldn't hold it up, tried to play a pass. There was no East Fife guy anywhere near him, and there was like three Peter Head guys around him, and that just basically summed up how our passing was this afternoon. I don't know whether it was the pitch or just the way that Peterhead were playing kind of disrupted our rhythm or whatever. We had a couple of little forays going forward. The goal that we got came from some nice slick kind of passing and it kind of showed how easy I think it could have been for us if we were in our game, if we're getting the passes going because the, the goal showed that we managed to kind of to, to rip Peterhead apart. Maybe you could maybe question whether it was offside to begin with, but it, it showed how simple it could have been if we were on our game. But, but that was, yeah, I mean, that was like the only, it was probably a 10-minute spell if we're being, you know, at the most, um, where we genuinely got the ball down and it was quite quick, it was incisive, and I, I, I generally thought we would have been 2-1 up at half time. I just, you felt that change, and then it just, Completely stopped. I mean, don't, I would be very surprised if we don't hear, you know, the pitch wasn't conducive to, so this is why we went a bit longer. But he, they showed in that spell that it, it can work. I mean, I'd rather be lost trying to do the right thing than than what we did, especially when we went out to MN. Uh, I mean, going on to these five goal, it did look offside. I always think when a guy's that far ahead, it, it, you always just imagine, well, it's definitely offside. He might not have been, but what a will say, in what was one of his poorer games for us, I thought that was incredibly unselfish of Hamilton to square that. For a young guy who's yeah. on math form, scoring lots of goals, and it was the absolutely right thing to do, because it was a, a tap-in for Denham, but 
very, I was really quite impressed with that actually, because not many people would do that. Can I show you this football IQ as well at an early age, Lee, just to, to bring you in just now? It's like we, we talk about Hamilton for his goals and stuff, but I know you didn't see this particular one, but yeah, a lot of young guys would just uh, try to take it on themselves. Whether that comes from coming through like uh, a pro setup, and obviously he's not with a full time team for nothing, they've obviously seen something in him, but that, that's what we need from, from all young guys coming through, not just at East Fife, but in Scottish football. We need to develop a better IQ, need to, to develop that lack of selfishness. Sometimes you need to be selfish, but I mean, it's another, although he had a poor game today, it is another string to Hamilton's bow that shows that with a bit of work, he could really become quite a, a well-rounded player. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's no denying, you know, Hamilton's excellent at, at converting chances and his, his striking press is, is probably second to none, maybe even in the league. But... His, his hold-up play is excellent and it's stuff that I've, I've spoken about in previous weeks that his ability to bring the ball down, lift his head up and, and look to interlink the, the other strikers or bring the midfield in it is, is excellent. I want to touch a bit on, on the midfield and obviously I haven't seen the game so I'm going to stress that again. I think that the, the, the centre pair in the midfield for weeks haven't been good enough be it Agnew and, and Davidson. Now, Again, I'm going to say that I haven't seen today's game. Just so listeners are like, oh, how can you say that? Because you weren't, you weren't at the game. But you don't have to worry. Cause you're right. <laughs> right. So Agnew, and we all know that I'm a total fanboy, hasn't kicked the ball for us this season. He had one of his better games last week, but hasn't kicked the ball. Ross Davidson, again, had a decent game last week. Hasn't kicked the ball pretty much for the rest of it. And at what point do we look to make a change to that midfield? But the issue is, is there's no competition for jerseys in the centre of the park. Mm. This is where the issue with Slattery comes in again, because Slattery should be the competition for the centre park and the, the, the person that is pushing to get into that side. But we've shoehorned them into a left back. So I'm starting to, to scratch my head a bit because one of the things that, that Darren said, even in an early interview with us, is that, that there should always be players sort of chapping at the door to come in. And we brought Liam Newton in, and he, again he did he did well last week. He was probably a, a sort of seven, seven and a half out of ten. But from what I've read about today, it was that you know somebody didn't even realise he was playing until about 40, 50 minutes in. So, but my concern is is that for again once we thought that we'd had squad depth, we really don't. There's probably a bit of arrogance if you're Agnew or. Um, or Ross Davidson, that, well, I'm not going to get dropped because there's nobody to play ahead of me. And we've spoken several times already in the fan zone about misplaced passes, us, us not stringing two passes together, and us not playing short passes. It's it, it, I feel like we're repeating ourselves after, I say the last week, after every show about the same errors over and over again. And you know, it's it it's frustrating beyond belief that we're we're not rectifying those errors. And again, the, the squad depth worries me. Although I will be interested to hear what you say about Danny Swanson because I believe he came off the bench today, and somebody said that it feel like that he was going to change the game. Well, yeah. Let's bring Gordon in at this point. Then, 
we we made a lot of subs today. It was quite a strong bench, but none of them changed the game. And that was the problem. It's like we're a man up. You're playing against a team that, I mean, fair play to Peter Head. They knew, okay, we've got, I think it was about the 66th or 67th minute that they went down to 10 men. So we've got half of a half left to go. They killed that game off to perfection, disrupted it, kind of rotational fouling. They picked up a lot of yellow cards. If there was any East Five players on that pitch that weren't up for it, then those heavy tackles would have like, left them thinking, yeah, I just don't fancy this today. So they, they did everything right in that regard. But the guys that we brought on, just they couldn't get into the game. They didn't make any difference. I mean, you saw that bench and someone like Swanson coming on, you do expect him to maybe be that spark, be that difference maker. Right now, he's kind of looking like a bit of a luxury player for us, but it's a luxury that we maybe can't afford. Yeah, I think like, if you go if you go back to last season and then the game today, something I've felt about this team is if, if we're playing against a team that kind of comes out, they want to attack us, we seem quite happy with that, even when it's a better team. You know, look at Wraith last season, very, very attacking team. You know, they're a good team, um, but you know we managed to beat them. We kind of gave as good as we got over the season. The, the, the teams we really seem to struggle against are teams that put men behind the ball and just they're happy to hit on the counter. They're happy to take the odd chance with a set piece or a cross. And something I think about this team is if, if they've got two deep banks of four in front of us, how do we play? Um, because last season, we just seemed to have no idea what to do when we faced a team like that. Peterhead played like that last season. I think it was like the you know the second game of the season. And they played like that. And although we dominated possession against them, we created almost nothing because, you know, we're sitting there kind of in midfield a bit. And, you know, if you look at players like Agnew and Swanson, I imagine as a similar type of player, it's like, you know, if a space opens up, they're capable of finding it. Um, but when you're playing against a team like Peter Head today, their whole thing is don't give them any space. You know, eight guys, when you don't have the ball, you've got eight guys back, there's no space. You know, they're fighting for it all the time. And we just look like we've got no idea what to do. Um, and so we bring the subs on. That doesn't change that fundamental fact you can change the players but as a team we just don't seem to have any idea what to do when we face that so you bring on Swanson today and you know it's a bit he's not solving the problem that we're, we're already facing um, you know to me he's you know he would be better against a team, you know, like Airdrie last week. There's no way Airdrie are coming to Bayview and thinking, oh, we're going to sit the eight men behind the ball and hope to get a draw or maybe sneak a win. But Peter Head are probably quite happy to play like that. Um, and I think we've always struggled against it. And, you know, changing one player here or there or making a sub doesn't change that. Um, so I think that's the problem. I mean, that, that is it, Doug, because it's like, it's easy to be doom and gloom after a defeat. And we've had good practice doing that so far this season, doing the fan zone. But you've got to remember as well, we did win last week and we looked good winning last week. So it's not a case that 
it's a bad team overnight, you hope, but you also hope then that the Airdrie game isn't the outlier. This is a game, for me, especially after we went up a man, this was going to show us what kind of team we were and what we should be expecting from this season. Because we talked last week about the fixtures that we've got coming up. Peterhead should have been a winnable away game. Four for next week has to be a, a must-win game. Now you're kind of feeling. It's like today was a chance to show whether we're a team that's really going to be a mid-table team, but maybe pushing for the, the last playoff spot, promotion playoff spot, or whether we were going to be a team that might be finding ourselves in the bottom half of the table for the season and hopefully keeping our head above water. But three points lost to Peter Head. Away from home, maybe not the end of the world. When you look at how the game played out, we didn't really deserve anything from it. But I think it showed what side we are because we just didn't have the spark to, to make that man advantage work. We've lost three points against a team that's going to be down the bottom. So I think we just have to, we talked about this before we started recording, embrace this. We're going to be a team that's like mid to lower table and we might find ourselves in a relegation battle if we're not careful and things stay really tight. Yeah, um, lots to take in there. Um, I think... Didn't mean to ask as many questions as that. I just started going <laughs> yeah, off on one. Exactly. Um, We've talked about it before. I, I'm struggling to just see where our identity is as a team. I, I, I don't know what we're, I don't really know what we're trying to do. Like mm. you, you look at like Montrose, for example. They've you know they've been consistently sort of fourth, and I know we've been kicking about there, but they've kind of got a way of playing, and they're very effective at it. And, and that doesn't change with personnel that, that comes in. But we're just, I mean, we were we were. We were pretty good last week, but then maybe Airdrie were pretty terrible and by all accounts they were terrible again today. I mean, that's, you know, we talk about, we just don't seem to have a midfield at all. And but when, when actually when you think back to last week, I wouldn't say Agnew, Davidson or Newton really did massively much to impact on the game last week, really. No. Um, I mean, they, you know, they, they had a better game, but they were allowed to. I don't remember any midfielder having a good game for us this year. I mean, I, I'm I'm the same with you. I, I generally didn't know Newton was playing. Didn't I didn't hear the commentator mention his name. And that's no slight on the lad. He's a young kid trying to learn his way. But I just, yeah, identity is a problem. I mean, that six away defeats in a row is a massive worry because it puts so much pressure on your home form. Um, I just, I mean, going back to to. Going down to 10 men, I mean, I, I don't know much about football, but you hear a lot with commentators and whatnot. But when a team goes down to 10 men, especially with 20 minutes to go in a boggy pitch, they're going to tire very quickly. Yeah. So you, you hear all that, like, you know, spread out wide, side to side, side to side. And a couple of times I heard them shout that from the bench, but we basically just got the ball and lumped in the box. And it's like, you know, when you bring on Kevin Smith, I mean, you think it genuinely, there's a lot of creativity on that pitch near the end. Oh, yeah. Kevin Smith, creative player. Danny Blonson, creative player. He's not fit. We'll, we'll, that's still definitely the case. Uh, Scott Agnew, creative player. And, like, it just went to centre-half and they just lumped up. 
and the two centre-halves were very comfortable. For we, I mean, Hamilton did miss a couple of decent headers, we'll say that. He had a couple of really good chances that he missed, but I don't think we deserved anything out of that, to be honest with you. I generally don't think we deserved anything out of that. No, well, let's get to that last chance that, that we had then, Gordon, because I think it was 88th, 89th minute maybe, Ball comes across, Hamilton meets it perfectly, really weak header straight into the keeper's arms. That was the chance to take a point. And you take a point from that and you're like, well, not not a great performance, but a long trip, crap pitch. We got a point out of it. Not the end of the world. We've not lost ground on, on a team that's a, around us. You'd have been happier, maybe not delighted, but you'd have been happier with that. So it's like the fine lines of whether that header goes in or not. But that was a header that needed to be on target, but not straight at the keeper. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, I would have taken a point. At the the point where the man got sent off, I would have taken a 2-2 draw. And I think you you would have felt like, okay, it was a shit pitch. It was a shit day, two shit teams, point each, that's um, you know, I don't think I don't think Peterhead were great today, and it was it was fine margins. Like you say, I think eight or nine times out of ten, Hamilton scores that. I I thought it was in. Um, it looked, you know, it looked almost easier to score. It looked like the kind of chance one of us might even put in if you're if yeah. you're in that situation. He, I mean, he uh, out jumped the defenders easily. Like it was head and shoulders above them, yeah. literally. I mean, the goalkeeper. I, I think if it was anywhere else, the goalkeeper would just stood there and watched it go in. <clears throat> I mean, talking about their defence, especially when when they went out to ten men. I thought, you know, we obviously had a lot of the ball, and there was there was periods of the game where it was like this. We had a lot of the ball. We were in there half a lot. But if I was a Peterhead defender today, like it would have been just the sort of game I would have enjoyed playing in. Like, you know, you're under a lot of pressure. But did we do anything that difficult to deal with? It was all in front of them. No, no, like Doug was saying, no stretching them. Not much. The one time we got in behind them, we scored from it. Apart from that, it was just all playing right in front of them. And I think if you were one of their back four, you probably would have loved that today. Um, and we, we do have good players. We have good creative players, but... Um, aye, today they didn't show it um, and you know, part of my worry is that you just like I said before you just you, you put bodies in front of us and mm. ask the question of us you know what are you going to do to break us down and I think too often it's just there's no answer from us I think no. they would have an answer Gordon and our answer seems to be let's kick the ball as high up the pitch as we possibly can and hope that Jack Hamilton gets something on it or Ryan Wallace runs on it and, and we might force a corner. We do seem to lack a plan B. And again, it's something we've mentioned before. Plan A, all-out attack, free-flowing football, get the ball down, get the ball to Hamilton, get into the channels, and we do well. Any team that sits in or presses us, and for lack of a better expression, we are fucked. We can't, we can't think, uh, right, okay, if they're pressing us, how do we get in behind? It's more of a case of, right, okay, um, right, um, right. let's just nail it to the corner flag and hope for the best. And but that goes back to what Doug was saying. We need width. 
we need to have wingers that's going to stretch a tired defence out. And it's like Ryan Wallace could have been moved more onto the wing and like use that, have Collins maybe on the wing as well. I mean, Swanson can play on, on, on the wing at a push. Maybe his legs are, aren't there to do it. But we need to get a couple of speedy wingers that we can bring off the bench for a game like this, where you're then going to stretch that team and play with some width. What are you guys making of Thomas Collins so far? Because I'll be honest, from what I've seen, I'm, I'm pretty unconvinced. I think that he played very well against us last year in, in the, the BSC game. But from anything, granted he's not had a full game, we're only seeing snippets. But from what I've seen, he's very meh. I, I, I can't think of a better word. He's very meh. Like, I, I, I can't see his style of play. He's not imposed himself anytime he's come on. He seems to run about a lot and that's great, but you know, it's not about running about a lot. It's about taking some chances and, and really staking a claim to get your name in the, in the starting lineup. And I can't see him pressuring any of our team to take their place. Yeah. I, I think, um, has so difficult. He's not really had much of a look. Um, and it is, uh, Generally, you're bringing him on when you're losing a game. I would think yeah. generally he's probably come on when we're losing. And when we're losing, we seem to be a mile off what we're trying to do. So it's pretty, I don't know, I find it almost no comment on that for me. I, I, I don't think you can judge him at all. He doesn't look great, but then very few do at the moment for us. So, I, yeah, I'm reserving judgment. Um I think it's it's a there is a leap from where he was playing to us. There definitely is. Um, even Dowds when he first came up, well, didn't look great, and you know Fash when he came up from amateurs didn't look great. There, there's a definite gap, and we need to give him time. But he needs he needs game time. It's the same as Swanson. I mean, <laughs> he's not fit. I get that, but then we're going to need to give him a wee bit more than fifteen minutes here and there to, you know, because I'm guessing we're not really yeah. playing reserve football and all that sort of stuff. So. He's going to need to play games to get himself fit. or Yeah, I mean, watching from afar, and I didn't really pay too much attention to, to this kind of aspect of stuff last season when I'm watching games, Gordon, but from watching the games this year, it does feel like Darren Young, when he needs to make a sub when we're behind, he doesn't trust the young guys. He goes with the more experienced guys. Yeah, possibly. I mean, my feeling with a lot of the subs this year is that, you know, it's just been a bit like for like. So we were bringing Collins on a lot. And I agree that, you know, he hasn't had much time. And I feel like I can't give, you know, a really kind of reasoned opinion on him. But you get this feeling, he comes on for five, ten minutes, he runs about a lot and you think, oh, well, at least he ran about a lot, but... You know, it's just it's essentially replacing fresh legs or replacing tired legs with fresh legs. And I felt a lot a lot of the subs this year have um you know, maybe just been a bit that, just been just get someone else on, just see, you know, Swanson today, it's like um I think I think Swanson replaced Newton and to be fair, Newton had a very poor game and he wasn't really doing anything. But it is just a case of, well, put Swanson on. And maybe he'll do something, um, and maybe that's unfair. But that's that's the impression I've, I've had from a lot of subs. 
this year. It's like, oh, we're chasing the game, we're not playing well. Just take this guy off, put that guy on, and see if something changes. So, um, aye, the, the sort of the expectation on, you know, we're losing a game, we throw on Collins, and we just hope that he does something. It's, it's a bit unfair, and it's, it's a tough position to be in as a sub. Um, well, I'm just kind of I'm looking at his stats just in in league games. So he's come on as a sub, including today, in in five of the seven games: twenty-one minutes, seventeen minutes, nineteen minutes, five minutes, and four minutes is what he's had off the bench. Ah, it's not enough. I mean, I mean, if I'm not even sure what his best position would be—is he a striker? Is he a winger? See, he's um, a guy I think we could try in the wing. I don't know if that's something that he excels at because I know he's kind of played through the middle more. But I mean, going back to the midfield, I mean, I was just thinking, you know, thinking of the three two ones. So that, you know, all the three two mm. ones that we do every week, how many of them have been given to a midfielder? And I was thinking uh, Liam Watt against Montrose. He was a standout in that game. Aside from that, I can't think of one midfielder who's been in a three two one. And where is Liam what in this situation? Where is he? Because every time I watch Liam, he plays well. But then the next week, he'll, 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 he'll not see the light of day. And for me, Liam Watt, there. Danny Denham, there. I think that Liam Watt's a, a better technical player. I think he gives more to the team. And I, I, I think that Liam, Liam has to push for a start next week. Yeah, well, it has to be something about training. He's either not showing it at training, um, just maybe other guys are training better than him, or he's just not showing something to Darren Young that makes him feel he deserves that spot. It's the only thing I can think of. I mean, the, I mean that. The, sorry, that, that that for me today is a Liam Watt kind of game, you know, where. It is a heavy pitch. You need that little bit more bite, and he's really good at that. I mean, I've said before, I'm a, I'm a big fan of his. But um, I just Gordon's bang. We 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 don't have a midfield. It's really worrying. Um, and you know, unless things are kind of sticking up top, then we're just we just don't, we're we're not overly good to watch at the moment. You know, it's just it, my my slight thing going back to like substitutions and whatnot is. It's a bit, we're not proactive, it's, it's very reactive. It's like, right, we're losing, we'll chuck a guy on to replace that guy. And as you say, almost every time it's like for like. I think at one point we did go to a back three towards the end when he put Smith on, but, but maybe try that one-all when the game's kind of petering out and it's not, nothing's really happening. Instead of waiting until you're losing, just try something different. I mean, I think all of us would be quite happy if you lose a game, if you've tried something new and you've, you've decided to... That you know, that's fine. We can deal with that because we're East Five fans. We we know all about losing games of football. Um, so it's, I just today's real game as a fan where you just it's it's so meh. It's like to quote the great Lee Gillis. Uh, you know, it's just it was just crap. I think I'll call this episode meh. Yeah, although Gordon Gordon's, Gordon's quote earlier was the greatest quote in uh, football history. Where he dropped this one. Oh, it was brilliant. Love that. Love that. I, I think I might get that on my headstone if we go down this season and I die. I uh, think you say <laughs> on your head. I thought you were going to get some weird tattoo for some reason. No. Um, I, I'm going to 
bring up a point and just reactively since Doug's leaked that word tonight um, about the, the substitutions and we made a substitution with Liam Newton coming off for Danny Swanson today at 55 minutes which I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's our earliest substitution that we've made tactically this this season it's actually, it's actually good to see that because it looks like right okay what we're doing isn't working we have reacted but we've brought on a different type of player to maybe try and change the system so as much as we're maybe going to be sounding a bit hypercritical that uh, Dan and, and Tony this week maybe we do say that look at least they did try to bring on Danny Swanson and is this us trying to breed Danny Swanson back into the team and pick up his fitness bringing him on earlier well, we did that last. We did that last week as well. We we took uh, Dunsmore off. Was it just after halftime? And I agree. I think at the start of the season, as well, like, we've got five subs now, right? I mean, I'm I'm not hallucinating that we can make five substitutions. Yeah, in the game. you can make and, five subs at three different points of the game. So I mean, even just you know, if the game's not going that well at halftime, you know, if you, unless you're winning two 0 at halftime, you've got this opportunity to say. Basically, is somebody kind of not really at it today? Um, so I agree. I think from the first half, you might say, okay, we weren't playing well. We're not behind. Newton isn't really making much difference. Put someone else on. Uh, so I agree. I think if you've got five subs, why wouldn't you just do that? You've still got four left. Um, you know, I don't think we've ever... Well, we, we might have made five subs today, but most teams don't make the five subs, so... If someone's not having a good game at half-time or just after half-time, yeah, why not take them off? I'm going to try and ask another question in terms of trying to get a general consensus. Aidan McLaughlin really impressed me in pre-season and he's not getting a sniff. He really isn't getting a sniff. Now, I get he's a young kid and he's he's maybe not ready for first-team football, but would you like to see um, maybe trying uh, or starting next week over a Ross Davidson, um, who, who hasn't played particularly well, or over a Scott Agnew next week, who hasn't played particularly well, and a chance to go, do you want to know what? It's time to make a change. Let's drop Danny, uh, let's drop, sorry, uh, Scott Agnew, let's drop Ross Davidson, let's send a message going, do you want to know what? You guys aren't performing and I'm prepared to leave you out. Gordon, come to you first. Yep, yeah, I think, like you said, as someone Dan Young says a lot, that... Um, you know, players are playing for their place in the team. If you're not performing, you get dropped. Now, we maybe don't have a huge uh, number of players that can come into centre mid, but we've got one there. You know, he's not had his chance. Uh, Agnew and Davidson haven't been performing. Um, so, if you're going to live by what you say, I think you, you might have to drop one of them and give, him, uh, give someone like McLaughlin his chance. Doug? Uh, I, I'm actually going to go no uh, and I'm going to say that he did well against was it Glenn Rothis juniors maybe yeah yeah um, I, I think if he's good enough he probably would have had a sniff by now I mean that's a that's a proper low level of football Glenn Rothis no offence to any of their fans out there I think if he was you know if he was up to it he would have had a sniff definitely because nobody else has done anything my issue is the management have to look at that. I am going to criticise the management here. Our midfield haven't touched the ball for eight, nine games of football. Why is that? It's not It's not because Scott Agnew's not suddenly become a bad footballer. Davis is not, they're just not getting on the ball. And if they're not getting the ball, is it 
are we just not giving him enough of the ball? Or uh, I just don't think... I don't think throwing another young kid in. Maybe if you were going to do it, you'd replace Newton. You, I don't think you could have McLaughlin and Newton in midfield, I'd, especially next week, because that's a massive game now. Yeah. Just playing devil's advocate, that's all. Next week is not the game to do that. It's like even as bad as Agnew has been playing, there's nobody that you can look to come in. Like next week against Forfar, he's got to go with his experienced starting lineup. He's got to to kind of stick with the system and hope that he captures what the team did against Airdrie. Lose next week and then we're having whole different conversations about a, a lot of things, I, I feel, because that's not an acceptable result next week. We'll get into that in a sec. This is going to be tough. Let, let's do our three two ones for the game. F- for those listening as well, I know it maybe comes across after defeats. We sound all doom and gloom. We've talked before about that's football fans. We actually had a, an hour in between the final whistle to recording this tonight to kind of just get our thoughts. Well, I, I had a nap, but everyone else kind of got a chance to think about the game and just, just do that. So it's not that we're having our, our just instant reaction. It's just straight from the gut. We've kind of had a measured response to this. 3-2-1 on the other hand is going to be fucking difficult. I don't even know where, where you start with it. So let's, let's start with Lee because he never saw the game. He um, can't come up with anything better than, or worse than us. I'm going to give three points to, a joint three points to Michael and I for having to do this podcast and a season the complete shambolic behaviour. I, I did ponder my life choices after the final whistle went this morning. As yeah. it's before nine o'clock in the morning, I didn't get to bed until after two o'clock because I was waiting to see if the game was going ahead or not. I, I, a sensible person would have gone to bed and still got up at the normal time and just checked to see if the game was on. But no, I waited up for the pitch inspection that I knew was happening. Right, and okay. That was, let's, let's change that then. Yeah, I'm gonna let's give take me out of it. Points. Yeah, I'm going to give myself three points. You know, as as Doug said, the Great League Gillis. So I'm going to take the three points for that today. Oh um, God, it's, it's going to be bigger than it's ever been. Oh no, it's like then. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to give two points to you, Michael, and I'm going to give one point to nobody. <laughs> Gordon yeah. and Doug were on the edge of their seats there to see which one of these was going to take it. But I'm going to say absolutely none of us because they, clearly the Perry is an absolute jinx and we're just all as shite as each other, let's be honest. My physio this week turns out that he's a, a big football fan and it turns out that he reads my site and I didn't know that because we just started talking about football. Um, he he actually said maybe I'm the jinx. So it could be me because I said that we had a, a decent team to us started doing this podcast. So it's, it's a combination maybe. So let, yeah, let's go for our proper 3-2-1. Let, let, let's go with Doug. He's always got a lot to say. Yeah. Uh, just very quickly, I actually, I mean, last season would have been great for the pod. Imagine the, oh. the chat for the Wraith win. Uh, I mean, so much excitement. Anyway, um, three points. Uh, that sounded like Eurovision Song Contest. It's <laughs> um, going to go to Chris Higgins. I thought Chris Higgins was quite good today. Um, he was probably the only defender that wasn't overly wasteful in possession and generally he wasn't playing aimless long balls. He was more trying to find the, the, the fullback or winger and, and I thought he defended pretty solidly. He's a, he's a good player, isn't he? I thought he was good. I'm going to give two points to Pat Slattery. I thought 
he got a little bit roasted early with the young kid, but then I actually thought he did really well. In the end, yeah. the, the the right winger for them, who was very good and scored the first, did he score the first goal? Yeah. He he ended up coming off quite early in the second half because he wasn't really getting a kick. Uh, and I actually thought Pat was pretty good. Um, and for the second time this season, so it's now got two points. I'm going to give one point to Danny Swanson's gloves. Second point of the season. And I will say about that, because do you know what? It bloody pisses me off. There's something really ridiculous about a guy coming off the bench, looking a wee bit overweight, wearing bloody gloves. I mean, do you know what I mean? I get it if you're warming up. I get it if you're warming up as a sub and you're trying to stay warm. But when you come on the pitch, take your gloves off and get your foot in and get on with the game. I, I, I'm not having it. But he's, they have got two points this season, his, his gloves. Yeah, getting get up there for upset because we sponsored Danny, and I will absolutely not have you offend Danny or his gloves. So you take well, that back. And you take it back now. Get him glory days of gold gloves. If he's going to wear gloves, get him actually. You know, ah, exactly. Wow. That's why you're on here, mate. An idea, man. <laughs> How did you miss that trick, Lee? It's like you're in and all of this merchandise and stuff. Exactly, mate. Uh, I, you know what, I'm, I'm not angry at myself, just disappointed. Mm. Right. We, we could sell, we could also sell um, pictures of how to defend corner, you know, with little blobs here and there and how many for the stats. Doug, did you not learn from an earlier episode defending corners is not an issue? True, true, true. Anyway. So, Gordon, who's, who's your 3 2 1? I think, um, I don't think I could give any points to any of the front six. <laughs> no midfield or striker, so it's going to be, um, it's going, it's going to be all from the back. I would give three points to Pat Slattery. Um, like Doug was saying, I think he maybe after a after the first fifteen twenty minutes, maybe got wasn't doing too well, but he had a, he had a good game afterwards. Can't really complain. I think he was he was fairly solid. Uh, two points to Chris Higgins. Ah, same reason he was good. Um, you know he's he's quite good at playing the ball out for the back. And I'll give a point to Brett Long. I don't think he had a chance with either of the goals. <laughs> he didn't have that much to do, but what he did, he did quite well. Um, I think uh, you know the back five, the goalkeeper in the back four. I don't think anyone had a bad game really. Um, and the front six, I don't think anyone had a good game. So, Yeah, it's kind of hard to argue with that. Are you keeping a tally of these scores, by the way, Lee? Nah. Ah. <laughs> I, I just thought you were for up when we gave her a award at the end of the year. To who? <laughs> to the 3-2-1 the winner, Annie Swanson's gloves. Uh, he's in second place at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, I think... Well, yeah, Once he you, starts playing well, we can start singing Glove. Glove will tear you apart again. Yeah. Uh, Gordon Love, what are we going to do for a winger like him right now? Right, my 3-2-1. My three points is actually going to East Fife TV. In some ways, I don't want to give them any points because the fact that they got to show the game today meant I had to get up to watch it. I was expecting not to because... It was a late notification while they were wanting to see if the game was on and all their logistics and stuff. But from reading what other folk were putting up with from the Peterhead stream today, I believe you guys might have had the Pixelot automated camera. 
that at one point seemed to follow a seagull. Whereas... It was, it was breathtaking. There, there was bits you're literally watching it and you're going, oh, it's away. Like there was like a probably a two or three minute spell where we were having like corners and stuff. And the, the camera's at the other end of the pitch completely and just you're just waiting on little robot to go. And, we're back. and also and because it had been raining, the, yeah. the camera lens was like messed up on the right hand side. So uh, it was pretty, pretty carnage. Yeah. The Where commentators were oh, very really good. good. Okay. I thought they were good. They weren't that biased. I thought they were pretty good. Well, East Fife TV was in the other stand as well. So I actually got to see a game from a completely different angle from you guys, which is kind of going to be weird. So that was top-notch HD quality today. And for those listening that will be watching the game next week, they have added instant replays. It was very good for somebody that was half watching the game and then missed stuff and you'd look up. and So they were obviously just trying it out today because they were showing replays of offsides and stuff just to make sure it worked but it really adds to what is already fantastic coverage so I, I just thought oh and all that was excellent so I'm going to give them the three points to it uh, to Higgins because I agree with you two guys it was fantastic and yeah probably one one to Slattery because there's nobody else I'd need to see the goals back as well just to make sure that Higgins wasn't one of the defenders that was at fault for poor clearances or whatever but that, that would be my 3-2-1. So we won't talk any more about the game, but let's just look ahead because we've got four for next week. Now, we'll go over, as always, the full standings and everything at, at the end of this on the show. But you look at it now. So the top, top seven have all played eight games. Then you've got us in eighth on seven points from seven, Clyde on in ninth with six points from six, and then four for next week's opponents, five points from seven. Now, if we lose next week, which I don't think we will, because four for is on a terrible run of form, one win in, in five, at least we have two wins in five, we would then fall behind four for. It just makes next week's game, though, a must win. And I'm confident, Gordon, we're at home, four for's no great shakes. If we don't get a three points next week, some serious questions we're going to be talking about in the show, but that looks like that is a a, a win in the bag. Well, dangerous. Uh, I know. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to call it a win in the bag, but it's a massive game. I mean, for me, it's it's weird this season because because it's it's felt like home away, home away, defeat, win, defeat, win. You know, you feel like we're having to bounce back every other week. Um. But it is a massive game because, you know, if we win that, then yeah, that's going to put that's going to put a bit of space between us and the bottom. If we don't win that, or if we lose it, I think you know potentially for the first time, I think we'd have to accept that we're in a relegation battle. It's a short season, mm-hmm. and you'd have to say we're in it. Um, I'm still confident because if you. If you take the home games, if if you just look at the home games we've had, you would fancy us to beat them. You, you still would. We've played well. And yeah. They're not good. Yeah. Uh, but we've got to get ourselves, you know, it's another week where we've got to pick ourselves back up. You know, the players will, you know, they'll know that they didn't play well. Um, you know, they'll know that the fans aren't happy. Um, 
you know, it will not be easy for them. Um, but, you know, they've got to pick themselves up. And it's just another week that we've got to do that. Um, but it's massive. I think, I think we've got to win next week. And I, th- I think we will. Definitely. This is your chance to drop a big F-bomb, Doug. Because because <laughs> Lee's little girls disappeared. <laughs> but I mean, like talking about our home form, though, right. if we win all our home games or take mostly wins and the odd draw from home games, we'll be comfortable. We're not going to get relegated. But we haven't had the big two come to visit us yet, so that's going to be a test as well. But next week, on paper, shouldn't be that much of a test. That should be a comfortable confidence booster for the guys, which I know is very dangerous to see. I think it's lethal to say. Um, I I think, Gordon, I I definitely don't think there's any gimmies for sure. The one thing we've got to do is we've got to maintain our home form. We have to, because if that starts sliding at all, we're in in bother. I I think it's it's a huge game. I'm, I'm actually pretty confident we'll win because it's at home. I think if we don't, if we were to lose next week, I'd, that's when the pressure will start starting to turn up a little bit on the management duo, I'd, or the manager, I should say, a little bit. I mean, yeah, I'm nowhere near. Then. Yeah, I'm nowhere near suggesting anything, but I think it will start getting to that stage where, you know, people will start get you know will get louder and louder and louder the voices of of discontent, which is a worry. Um, I, I, just think they've got to find they've got to find a way to get our midfielders in the game. They have to, because I'm I'm not as I say I'm not convinced it's just a personnel issue. I think we're, they're not touching the ball, so there's a there's a tactical side to it as well. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a big game for sure. I think la- last question then for, for this week. Then then we'll wrap it up and I'll go around all three of you. Transfer window obviously opens again pretty soon. All season long, we've talked about, oh, we need to add to left back. Um, the management team's probably talked about wanting to add maybe another central defender as well. Now, though, we're looking at other things like, I feel we maybe need a winger. I, we definitely need, need some more in the midfield. So let, let's start with Lee. What would you be looking at adding then with this transfer window open? I think that, you know, it's, it's probably well documented what I'm going to say. I think a left back, I think that we, we need to to provide some competition for Pat, but it also allows us, by sending a left back, allows us to produce um, a bit of competition in the centre of the, the park because that's Pat's natural position. So I think that a left back has to be priority. I think that, again, we're needing some width, so a winger, if we could get one in on loan. And I'm going to be potentially controversial here and say a striker because I think that if Jack isn't fit or if Jack isn't having a good game like he was having today, then to be able to bring on somebody that we know is going to have that goal threat is really, really important. And I'll apologise for any of our listeners that are hearing my, my young daughter in the background. <laughs> more, more sense than you've made for the whole show. So, I mean, that that's fine. Like... Gordon, that is a good point from Lee. Like, if we do add the left back, it does free Pat up to maybe challenge it in the midfield. Striker is a, a an actual position we haven't really talked about strengthening, but right now we are just relying on Hamilton and Wallace. And if they're not on their game, then with nothing else. Yeah, I think if I'd um, 
you know, if there's only one position, like just say one, I, I think I would have to say left back. And um, you know, I think Pat's been playing better last last few games than he was at the start. But there is that thing again. Um, you know, it, it would it would provide competition there. It would free Pat up to be competition for other areas of the park. And it's something. I mean, it got mentioned a couple of weeks ago. This thing of you know, you don't sign anyone unless they're better than what you already have. But as we've talked about, Pat Slattery, like left back's not his natural position. If you if you let him pick his place in the team, he wouldn't pick left back. Then we actually don't have somebody who's a natural left back. So really, you know, you've only got to be better than nothing. Um, you know, I I think Pat has done well at left back. But he's only playing there because we don't have a left back in the squad. And to me, to to let that continue for two years is mental. Yeah. Um, you know, even like the like the West of Scotland League, right? You've got like half of those teams are just doing nothing. Like Auchinleck Talbot have basically went into hibernation. Surely they've got a left back. Can we not phone them up and say, Does your left back fancy playing for six months rather than sitting on <laughs> Um, that's what I'd do. Yeah, I'd, I'd looked at some left-backs that I know over here and none of them were going to work out because they either didn't have visas or they had other things lined up in Europe that was going to happen or whatever. I do have a midfielder, though, that I might get in touch with, the guy I've known for a long time. David Norman was with Inter Miami, just been released by them at the end of the MLS season. He is still kind of recovering from injury. Has... Scottish-born dad, so can come over. Gary Naismith brought him to Queen of the South two seasons ago, and they wanted to keep him, but the Whitecats brought him back. So he's now looking for a club, and he's a box-to-box midfielder with a bit of bite, sweet foot for a free kick. So I'm going to get him added to the team. Whether he wants to come over or not, he's going to get added to the team. Can we sign Gary Naismith? Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's probably still got a little bit in him. I mean, like, if you're picking one, Doug, is left back the one you would go for? And if you were picking two, would it be a central midfielder or would you want something in the attack? Um, yeah, definitely left back. Uh, actually, Gordon pretty much stole what I was going to say. Uh, the comment about we're not going to sign someone who's better than what we've got. My problem with that is sign a different kind of left back. Maybe a little guy who's quick and he can bomb up in the wing and he can get stuck in. Because Slattery's quite slow and he's a, you know, maybe a slightly taller guy. Just do something different, anything different, just to give Slattery a break. He can go into midfield, add a bit of bite, blah, blah, blah. We've been saying it for two years. I'm bored of it. Um, we don't need a centre-half, I don't think. We've got, really, we've got four. Murdoch can play centre-half. Higgins, Dunlop, we're fine. And they're, they're actually pretty good centre-halves. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's so easy to say midfield, but Kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, there's no way Aggie and Davidson have just become crap. We're just they're just no yeah they're just not getting involved. So anyone, I think it's depth. Like we said at the start, we've got you know we've got nothing to bring on. It's just like for like boring. There's no maybe I'm when I'm saying about changing things tactically, it's because we don't have the personnel to. I don't know. Um, just just something different, something to put a spark back into the into the season because at the moment there ain't no spark I like uh, Gary Naismith shouts fantastic I guarantee, I guarantee 
At his age now, he would do better in that position, I think, than Slattery. And that's no slight on Pat Slattery. Did, does he not because, get named Lee to our best left back? I can't remember who won that in the end. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did take it, actually. Um, and yeah, we're, we're going to go on in the next part of the show. Gordon, are you trying to say that you're going to vote for me as the best ever left back? No, he said he wanted somebody that was better than nothing. Oh, right. Okay. I'd have taken it. Doug? Uh, sure. I think, I think one more thing on the left back situation is we sort of screamed about getting whoever's left midfield to sort of double up and, and help a fullback. Well, you're just sacrificing another position. You know, I mean, you're you're basically going to someone like a denim who's a, you know a attack-minded player that you you know stick to sort of defensive side of things, and you're losing you're losing an extra a player there. So it, it has to be addressed, and it's a it's yeah. a feeling that we've not so far. Yeah, and if anyone is new to listening, you've probably gathered. Yes, Lee has been left back for a number of teams usually left back in the dressing room before the game starts, but we won't go into that. Doug's talked about wanting some spark. I think hopefully in next week's show, we'll have some spark to talk about. Hopefully we've brought some spark to your weekend tonight. Just want to thank the guys as always for joining us. Any final things you want to say? Um, keep the faith. Keep the faith. Gordon? Um... Uh, yeah, that'll do. Right. Just that. Mm-hmm. Just that noise. <laughs> we? Meh. 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 Anyway, so that wraps it up for this week. On a day where East Fife went to Peterhead, playing in dark, gloomy conditions in an empty grey stadium that kind of looked like it was possibly Peterhead Prison. There was a criminal performance put in by the midfield today. Hopefully it's going to be better next week. Until then, thank you everyone for listening to Fife Fan Zone. Mon the Fife. So thanks so much again to Doug and Gordon for joining us on this week's Fife Fan Zone. Hopefully we'll have more fun to chat about in next week's one. But let's do our usual kind of roundup as to what else happened in League One on Saturday, December 12th. A couple of surprising results. Also a couple of teams as well that you have to kind of start to wonder exactly what they are about this season. Are they going to be promotion contenders? Are they kind of peak too soon or and stuff like that. East Fife's obviously one of the teams that we still don't really know what they're about this year. Jekyll and Hyde side, strong at home, not good in the, the on the road. So let's just look at what today's results brought. Montrose saw off Airdrie 1-0 at Airdrie, which was a, a bit of a surprise. Only goal of the game came in the 51st minute from McLean. Falkirk, league leaders Falkirk, comfortable 3-0 winners at Clyde. Good to see Clyde finally back on the pitch after all their COVID issues. Maybe not good for them when they saw the final result. Telford put Falkirk ahead in the 30th minute. And then Mercer in 55 and Hall four minutes later rounded off the scoring for Falkirk. And perhaps the shock result of the afternoon... Former leaders who have kind of had a dip in form in the last couple of weeks, Cove Rangers, 
went down to a 1-0 loss at Dumbarton. Only goal of the game there came from Weatherburn in the 51st minute. And the team that's starting to string some results together now, not unexpectedly, Partick Thistle, went up to bottom-placed Forfar and came away with a 2-0 win. But they were made to work hard for it, both goals coming in the second half. Gordon opening the scoring in the 52nd minute, and then Doherty in the 78th minute. So what does that mean for the league standings? Falkirk out on top, 6-point lead now over Partick Thistle. They've got 20 points from their 8 games played. Partick in 2nd on 14. Cove now 3rd on 13, tied with Montrose. Maybe a little bit of a, a surprise package in 4th, also on 13 points. Dumbarton have 11. Airdrie 10. Peterhead move up to 7th on 9 points after their win over East 5 today. East 5 drop down to 8th on 7 points. Clyde in 6. And then bottom placed, Forfar, 5 points from 7 games played. That can all change. It's obviously a very, very close division. Everything up for grabs, but we are already starting to see a little bit of a split. The top 4, top 5 maybe, starting to pull ahead a little bit. And then the teams at the bottom is going to be left looking at mid-table and maybe a relegation dogfight. So bringing you back to one of our more popular segments again, it's our Have You Heard. Now, Michael and I have come to a gentleman's agreement um, that I'll pretty much stick with Have You Heard because trying to find football songs that are obscure and Michael just doesn't tell me are garbage, I seem to be few and far between. So I think I peaked with Andy Cole and Outstanding anyway, so I think I'm probably just best to to leave that section to Michael because he's definitely better than I am. However, I did really enjoy Slade, you were right. Um, I'm going to give you the kudos for that. I was one of your better ones. So I'm looking forward to hearing what you have this week. So in terms of Have You Heard, I'm going to bring back the first ever band that I played on Have You Heard, which is Sunstinger. And they were definitely one of our more popular I liked that one, yeah. Yep. So I've been trying to rack my brains and trying to find new music. But sometimes I think it is just to stick with tried and t- sort of tried and tested. And Sunstinger, the amount of people that messaged in on the back of that saying they loved them, I thought it was worthwhile giving them another blast. So a different song this time. So this one's called Nothing's All Right, Leave Me Alone. Um, and it's, it's very charlatans. It's, that, it's charlatans, Stone Roses, Joy Division, and a sort of mishmash sort of combination that's a bit like a cocktail you get at TGI Fridays all thrown in together with some some ice and some juice. But it's, I really, really liked it, and, and I really hope that you guys do too. So here's this week's Have You Heard. It's Sunstinger with Nothing's All Right, Leave Me Alone.
So that was Sunstinger there with Nothing's Alright, Leave Me Alone. Another great song, one that I really enjoyed and I'm very, very confident this week. I'm going to sit quietly confident that that's going to be another one of our listeners' favourites. As always, get in touch with us at Glory Days of Gold on Twitter. Let us know your thoughts and be sure to give Sunstinger a follow on Twitter too if you do enjoy it. Or yeah, just look down our playlist. Another song that I'm going to give a little throw out to as well is one of our other first um, artists that we featured was Joshua Grant. And he's released, he's a massive Dundee United fan, and he's released a Dundee United song called Tangerine Blood. So if you do want to listen to a football-based song that's maybe not about East Fife, but definitely still hits you in the feels, is one to listen to too. But I'll not play that because it's an East Fife podcast. Well, I was going to say, you do know you could have picked that for Wavelength this week. I could off, but it's about Dundee United. I think that if it's going to be football, it's got to be maybe a wee bit more general. But there's one for you to listen to too. So... We've lost another legend this week, Michael. Sadly, Paolo Rossi died. Another young death in his early 60s. Tell us what your memories are on Paolo Rossi. Yes, the world of football sadly lost another legend this week, Lee. Paolo Rossi, the man that almost want to say single-handedly won the 1982 World Cup for Italy, but... Obviously, there's a lot of other things went into that, such as their defensive display, Marco Tardelli, and a, a number of things like that. But the legendary Italian striker passed away on Wednesday, aged 64. A club career that saw him play for Juventus, Como, Vicenza, Perugia, back to Juventus, Milan, and then Hellas Verona. I think most people, when they hear the name Paolo Rossi, if they're of a certain age, like myself... Think back to his heroics in the 1982 World Cup. He scored a hat-trick in the quarter-finals against Brazil, two goals in the semi-final against Poland, and then the first of Italy's three goals in their 3-1 win over Germany in the final. Six goals over their three biggest games at the tournament. Made him a legend. As I said, for people of a certain age, it's a name that just resonates with them. I think, and I tweeted this out, a lot of people, they kind of have their World Cup, whether it's the the first one that they remember watching or the first one that they really got into or maybe it just, it holds a special place for them because their team did well or they were somewhere watching it, stuff like that. Now, for me, I don't really remember anything about the 74 World Cup. I've got a pennant from back then, but I don't really remember watching it or anything about it. The 78 World Cup, I do remember being in a rented place that we had in Ely. We were there for a month and I was there with my mum and my grandparents. And I remember watching some of the games on a black and white television. But I was still really young to, to fully enjoy it and and get into it and stuff like that. So for me, it was the 1982 World Cup. That was the first one I was really passionate about. Panini stickers, souvenirs, the little orangino guy that they had. That wasn't his name, but he basically looked like an orange. Scotland. Remember really vividly watching Scotland's group games and the disaster that came with that. And then I just remember Paolo Rossi and Italy just so well. In that World Cup, I mean, when I think of that World Cup, the first thing that comes to mind is Schumacher's tackle on Batiston in the semi-final, Germany-France. But then after that, the next thing that I kind of think of is Italy. 
Marco Tardelli's celebration in the final, Rossi's goals. And I still actually have my VHS video of the BBC highlight show that they showed at Christmas. So I've got that on an E30 VHS cassette, really showing my age here. And yeah, it's just, that was a great World Cup and Diego Rossi put his name on it. Maybe didn't do a lot after that in his career, but for Italians, he's always going to be a legend. Horrible year just in general, horrible year for football deaths. R.I.P. Paolo Rossi. So I mean, that's that's just some of my memories uh, uh, about him, Lee. I, I know, obviously, it's way before four-year time, but when you think at some of the football legends that we've lost this year, you, you honestly, and I'm not meaning this in any facetious or, or funny way, you could easily do an RIP 11 and have a, a hell of a strong team. It's just so many legends going before their time. They haven't revealed as of yet the, the cause of Paolo Rossi's death at the time of us recording this. So, I mean, it, it makes you wonder whether it was maybe COVID-related or, or something else, but yeah, big, big loss. And there's a lot of Italians in an Italian community here in Vancouver that's involved in the local football thing there, and they're just devastated at, at the loss of, a, of another hero. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a scary time just now. So There's so much doom and gloom in the world. And yeah, but especially when a lot of people's heroes like Maradona or Charlton or, or whoever it might be that's that we've lost this year, then, you know, it's definitely difficult. Like you're saying, a, an RIP 11 would be something which would be pretty sad to, to read, but it'd be interesting to see what sort of squad that you'd be able to pull together out of that. 2020 has just been absolutely horrendous. But yeah, um, a, a, sad, a sad loss for the football world. But on, on a more positive note, another one of our usual segments in Wavelength. And Michael, who do you got for us this week? Well, I, I don't have any songs about... Paolo Rossi in my arsenal. I'm pretty sure, and there was no football pun intended there. I was pretty sure there's some Italian ones, but I thought let's just keep English language stuff. I have played some foreign language ones in wavelength before over here. It didn't go down very well. So I'm keeping it to English language. And what I thought is I'm going to pick this song to tie in with what Paolo Rossi did at the 1982 World Cup. His heroics there are well noted. It was like a football fairy story. So that brings me to a song from 1992 by The Addicts. It's not about Paolo Rossi, but it is called Football Fairy Story.
The Addicts There, English punk band from 1992, that one, and their album 27. That was Football Fairy Story. Everyone loves a, a football fairy story, Lee. We've got Marine from the eighth tier of English football getting set to take on Tottenham in the FA Cup. That's a football fairy story in the making. Maybe Scotland qualifying for a World Cup could be a, a football fairy story in the making. It's very doable by the looks of it. Yeah, so if you've been living under a rock, we'll just go over the, the group which we've got. And, you know, we've said this in the past, but it looks like it, we've actually got a chance this year. So we have Austria and what's seeming to become East Fife um, for first scenario here. Oh. Scotland versus Israel. Again, oh. um, just seem to draw them constantly. The Faroe Islands, which I know that Michael will be absolutely delighted with. Oh, I am. I'm sure that he'll be doing cartwheels and hopefully the COVID stuff's going to be over because we'll be playing Faroe Islands at home on the 31st of March, but away on the 12th of October. Michael, could that be our next reunion? Will we meet in the Faroe Islands? I I want, well, Faroe Islands in October is not a great time to go. That is one thing I'll say from me checking the weather. Like regular listeners will know, especially folk over in, in Canada that listen to my show here, I fell in love with Vikinger from the Faroes this year, followed Faroe Islands football, fell in love with the whole place. My wife and me want to do a trip to the Faroes. If we can take in Scotland playing there in October next year, more on the vaccine. More on the vaccine. Team Pfizer for life. Um, so on top of that, we've East got... Pfizer. East Pfizer, yeah, there we go. That could be a new fanzine. More on the Pfizer. <laughs> more on the Pfizer. Um, we've also got Denmark, um, which I think will probably be our toughest challenge. But realistically, we've not got any team that have got a superstar. You know, no. we, we always need to come up against at least one team that have got somebody that really stands out. And essentially, when I was looking across the the squads for who we were playing against, Christian Eriksen was one of the only ones that really stood out, but he's not playing much at Inter. Um, you've got the a few decent players in the Austria team, be it David Alaba or mm. um, maybe Marco Anoutovic, somebody like that, that, that really sticks out. But again... These games are winnable. And finally, we've got Moldova in our group who we played in the Euros, I think a few years back. I'm sure it was the Euros in a qualifying campaign. Looking at that, there's there's no games in there that aren't winnable. I think that if we win our home games, which is massively important, then we've got a really, really good shot at this. But maybe you could try and explain this to me because when I watch the draw, we're in a larger group than the the first part of the draw. Does that mean that there's three places up for it? As far as I know, no. It's just the best runner-up in every group. But what they've done in the past is to work out the best runner-up, they've taken the results against the weakest team out of the equation. So I imagine in this case, it's bizarrely not the Faroe Islands, it's Moldova. So... If they, if they take those results out of the equation, how we do against Moldova, which, to be honest, is possibly the big banana skin for us when we've seen previous results, then the average of then all the other games against that is what's going to come into it. Because it's not fair that some people don't have those minnows in their group. So that's why they, they then take those results out of the equation. And they talk about points per game, but MLS stuff, it's like they kind of do a points per game kind of average thing. I'm just glad that we haven't got Belarus and Lithuania that we always seem to get as well. 
when the draw was getting made and I saw who had come out in pot one, I was like, well, I really fancy Group F. Then Austria came out and I was like, I really, really fancy Group F. And that's what we got. I'm really happy with it. I think it's winnable. Don't write off Austria, though, because from speaking to some people here that follow a lot of German and Austrian football, Austria's got a really exciting young crop of talent just now that they think could be equivalent to the Austria that we saw in the early 80s in terms of kind of once in a generation kind of talents. I think that is going to be a tough one. Denmark should be favourites. But as you say, win your home games. Try and sneak something on the road. We've got a real, real chance. And it's very exciting. You know, but equally, we've got a group of young players that are really becoming more and more prevalent and, and really starting to make their name in the game. A, a, a talent that I've spoken about in the past that I'm still really loving is Billy Gilmore at Chelsea. Now, really by that time, he should start to begin to make his name and, and stake in a regular place in the, the national team. You know, in every competition that he's made his debut for, for Chelsea, he's been given man of the match. And I think that that's an outstanding stat. Premier League debut, FA Cup debut, League Cup debut, and Champions League debut. Every time he's made his debut, he's been man of the match. And I think that he's been the sort of player that we've missed in Scotland for a long time. And I'm going to put my cards on the table and say that he's going to become our Gareth Bale or our you know standout player. So hopefully by that time, he'll be really alive and kicking and starting to make a name for himself. So again, you know, if we look at the the Austrian team, I'm certainly not going to write them off. They've performed well in, in competitions in the, the recent years. I mean, David Alba, his record stands for itself, won countless trophies with Bayern Munich over the years, Champions League, you name it. You've got um, Julian Baumgartlinger, who's another good player, but he's sort of aging a bit now, he's 32. You've then got Marcel Sabitzer as well, who plays for RB Leipzig and is a, is a top player. He's only 26, so he'll be in his prime. So there's definitely a lot, a lot of players in the Austrian team that, that have the ability to stand out. And I'll, I'll put my money on now, but I think Austria will win that group and really will be coming up against Denmark. I mean, the Denmark's in, in my time, you're talking Peter Schmeichel, mm. um, Jondal uh, Thomason. Loud drop. Loud drop, yep. Um, you know, I think those days in reality are gone. Um, I don't think that they've got many players that will stand out. So I'm just... One thing that they do have is Barcelona striker uh, Martin Braithwaite, um, who went there in January last year, didn't really get much of a chance. Then, of course, you've got um, Thomas Delaney, who's at Borussia Dortmund, is a decent player. Daniel Vass, Pierre-Emil Hoiberg, who's at Tottenham. You've got Anders Christensen, who was at Chelsea. So they've got decent players, but I don't think that they've got anybody that's going to be a world beater in their team. And I think that it will be between us and Denmark for second. If we can pull together the sort of performance that we did against Serbia, mm. then we've got every chance in that game. But we've also got a little while to for Steve Clark to really embed his philosophy and really embed his style of play on the players. And, and I think he's done a great job of that already and making us hard to beat. You know, a lot of our games have been like 1-0 victories and, and you know, I'll win it, take it at a national level any day of the week, a 1-0 win. 
it's not something that we have to watch week in and week out. So I'm, yeah. I'm not looking for sexy soccer. I'm looking for results. Yeah, I see. I say that here all the time, just about football in general. Folk are always, especially like over here, they want to see exciting football. And it's like I genuinely, if my team wins one nil every week and it's a shit game, but they've won, I'm happy with that. And so many folk are like, oh, I did a poll uh, over here for AFT in Canada. It's like if the Whitecaps were to win one nil every week and play shitty football or play great end-to-end exciting games but lose, what would you prefer? And so many people just wanted to see exciting football because it's like an entertainment thing to them. And it, that baffled me, absolutely baffled me. It just shows the difference in culture, really. But I'll give you a, a, a sort of UK version of that. Um, my mate George, who's one of our regular listeners, he's a huge Arsenal fan, um, born and bred in London. So we could give him um, a, a bit of leeway with that. When Jose Mourinho got the Manchester United job, he made a comment to me along the lines of, you know, you're just going to play shit, boring, park the bus football. And I was like, right, okay. I was like, you've never seen your team win the Champions League? He's like, no. I was like, if Jose Mourinho takes over at Man United and parks the bus and wins the Champions League, I'm happy with that. I was like, if Jose Mourinho got the Arsenal job and parked the bus and you won 1-0 every week, and you won the Champions League, you try to tell me you wouldn't be happy with that. And he was like, oh, well, I guess I would. And I'm like, well, you, you can't really criticise Jose Mourinho for that then, can you? Mm. And he was like, well, no. The, so the, uh, the problem comes up, though, is when you play that style of football and you don't get the results, because that yeah. is what's happened with, with the Whitecaps. We've played that kind of football and not got the results. So I think that might also be in part why fans are like, I just want to see some entertainment football because it's like playing like this and not winning. We're not getting the results anyway. But if you like, that's the danger for Steve Clark. If he plays some of this style and he doesn't get the results in the first couple of games, you know what the media is like, you know what some of the fans are like, they'll kind of be on his back. I think we've got a great squad in theory. I worry about the goals, but if we can keep it tight at the back, that's just half the battle. I think that up top's probably where I'm concerned as well, although somehow Ollie McBurney scored again for um, Sheffield United at the weekend after we slagged them off last week. But there's plenty of time for, for a, a striker to come through. Who knows, maybe even Jack Hamilton will be our striker by that time. Oh. He, he, hopefully he keeps doing what he's doing. Well, I mean, yeah, there's, a, I mean, there's a lot of time. The games are getting played over four windows and it's all next year with the playoffs in in, in March 2022. A lot of it's going to depend on availability, like vaccines, travel, any players. I know I keep going on about Johnny Russell, but he he has had a fantastic season over in MLS. But it's like he can't come over because of quarantine and stuff. So if you've got vaccines in place and quarantines are dropping by the wayside a bit and you can actually have a full squad to pick from. In saying that, I know Steve Clark's got a pretty solid base when you look at the players that might be in the in the Euros and the Euro squad, I don't think there's a lot of openings there. I think the guys that we've seen in some of these games is pretty much the guys that's going to do that. Are they good enough to perform at the Euros and do well? I'm not sure. Are they enough to get us through a qualifying campaign against this group? I think, yeah. Yeah. Well, I suppose time will, time will tell, Michael, and we'll see how that goes. 
So for the final part of our show, we'll bring you, as always, our mailbag and a relatively more full sack than usual. We've been heavily active on social media. Um, over yeah, the last e- even I was years. posting stuff. Yeah, I mean, we, we even managed to get a post from Michael who took time out of his busy soccer sort of affiliations to, to join us on the dark side. And we, we spoke a bit about the worst food that you've had at away games. But... After me finally getting my, my finger out and Michael calling me out to our, our listeners about me not sorting the right back, I finally did it this week. And we have a winner. Our all-time right back for the listeners of Glory Days of Gold goes to a friend of the show, Mr. Greg McDonald. So congratulations to Greg. So our, we've got three of our team in so far. Um, and we'll announce the... Um, we'll put a vote out for centre-backs this week. I'm going to imagine that it's going to be a back to a, a Tweedy and Smarty, but I, I'm, I could easily be proven wrong. Michael, let's let's bring up your food segment. We know how much you love our food segment, so you could tell us about some of the tweets that we've received this week. So, so I was just really asking for people to let us know best and worst pies and other food items that you've had at a football match. And it could have been anywhere in the world if folk have travel overseas to see a game, a Scottish game or a European team or something like that, or just on their holidays, what they had. Because I remember going down to a Whitecaps game in Utah, Real Salt Lake, and they had a full-blown barbecue on. It was like absolutely fantastic food. But then they also had like a authentic Mexican taco stand. And that's where I went as well. And it's like, that's your football food. Uh, North American sports is just... Yeah, you've got the crappy nachos and hot dogs and stuff, but this always stands. Seattle Sound is actually what I give a shout out to them. And I hate doing that because they're obviously the big Whitecaps rivals. They've got a full-blown pie stand that sells top-notch pies inside their stadium as well. So if you're ever at a game in Seattle, you can actually get a pie. I've been at the Whitecaps to try and do that as well, but yeah. Can you get a warm apple pie there? Probably can. I think that's that's very popular over here. I'm I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Um, I, I can't uh, always decide between apple, cherry, or poontang, but you know, depends what's available on offer. Do you like ice cream on it? Always a little bit of whip. Yes, always a little bit of whip. If you like, let's get to the cleaner stuff. Uh, Scott Young said the staggy pie at Ross County was insanely good a year or two ago. Ross County is a stadium I've never been to. I've got to to get that crossed off my list. He said, sure, me and Ross got a disgusting pie at Albion Rovers a few years ago, and we talked about the the rank pies at Albion Rovers. He said the Celtic pie, though, is the worst that he's ever had. He paid £3.40 for it, never managed to eat it all, and it gave him the bulk, and he got a slice of Domino's as well. So, obviously, they've got pizza there. I know... Games at Hamden, the pies yeah. there were so expensive as well. They were good for the Queen's Park games. It's like there were some good state pies there. Um, so they've got a domino stand apparently at Parkhead. So that's interesting. Ewan Masson says he did enjoy when Bayview first started to sell macaroni pies like, like you talked about, Lee. Uh, he listed them as the vegetarian option, presumably to keep them shrouded in mystery. Obviously not vegan because they they can't have the cheese aspect. Liam mentioned something that I totally forgot about, which was there was a spell East Stirling got their pie stand got taken over by a local Indian businessman and they were doing pakoras. And I remember those and they were like top-notch pakoras. 
Um, but there was apparently a, a food poisoning incident with the Pakora at First Park when they played then on the Tuesday and again on the Saturday. To pitch Paul Galloway said his deep fried pie with Pakora sauce did taste a bit dodgy, to be fair. But I, I, those Pakoras were top notch. And didn't they have Pakoras as well at Stenhouse Muir at one point? I think I remember that. I can't remember, but the, the, the memories of the Albion Rovers pies are, are flooding back to me. And like I've said in a few shows before, they were dreadful. I think I've mentioned already that it was between Tannadice and Albion Rovers for me, for the two washers, maybe even Cowden Beath as well. But one of the best comments that I read was, I, want, I can't remember who it was on Twitter, but about them getting chips and cheese. Yeah, that was Paul Galloway as well. He got chips and yeah. cheese at Cowden Beath. And the chips, they weren't covered in grated cheese, but a cheese slice. Yeah. Uh, my, my, like, I've always got a little bit of the fear with, with um, plastic cheese, as it's known in this house. And that's because when I worked in Morrison's, I remember putting it away. And for some reason, I decided to read the ingredients and it had 6% cheese in it. What? Like, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> what's the rest of it? <laughs> Serious? Jesus. I mean, they've got that cheese whiz stuff here that is yeah. just obscene. A natural cheese sauce, I think it's obscene. Cheese over here in general is atrocious. I mostly buy the imported stuff from UK and Ireland and stuff. There was a, a good one that I was getting down in the States that I always used to stock up on, but I haven't got down to the States at all this year because the border's closed. But the what we do in Canada, I don't know how well known this is. It's called poutine. Not what you might be thinking of, but it's cheese curds on chips with gravy. How that has not become a thing in Scotland, I do not know. I need to come <laughs> back to Scotland and have a patine business because I think that would do a roaring trade. Well, the, a lot of the burger joints here now do patine. Oh, um, do they? A few times, yeah. Um, there's a it's great amazing. Place, yeah, there's a great place in Glasgow called Bread Meets Bread that do excellent patine. I'd had it until I went to America and had it there, and then every time I see it on a menu now, I always get it, because it's so good, but we're getting off the point, we do this I, all the I know, I know, that's, that's <laughs> my fault. Oh, we, we do get patina uh, football games here, so it's a Quebec thing, so I mean, it's a big thing here. Like, last few ones then, Henry Ireland says, the best pie has to be Bayview's, worst has to be Albion Rovers. He does mind though that he got a cheeseburger at Alloa and chips at Hamden that weren't very good. I'm assuming that's what Henry was meaning there. Uh, now Anderson says, Albion Rovers was the first place to offer me a roll for my pie. And since then, I've never looked back. Once at Arbroath, I had to tip the pie upside down to pour some of the grease off. Yes, Arbroath pies are some of the greasiest I ever had. I actually stopped buying pies at Arbroath. They were awful. And he always remembers the famous chicken pakora East Sterling too. And last one, Barry Pfeiffer Baz. He asked for a cheeseburger once at the pie ba pan Start that again. He asked for a cheeseburger once at the pie stand at Stranraer and was given a cold tinned burger on a roll. It was absolutely bogging. So keep those coming in. We want to know more. Your best and worst football fare. Doesn't have to be pies, just anything you've had. I'd also like to hear about people that's maybe been on holidays and taking in a game somewhere in Europe. What was the food like maybe at games in Spain or France or Germany or Italy? Yeah, you, you've been to any games in Europe, but somewhere I've never actually seen a game is, is on in Europe. 
Yeah, I've been to a few, actually. Um, I went to Bayern Munich versus Borussia Mönchengladbach at the Allianz a few years ago. Um, and the, the best thing about that was being able to have a beer while watching the game. And the beer was amazing. The, the Mönchengladbach fans, I was there with Rachel, and they took a total shine to her, so they were just passing us beers all the time. It was great. Understandable. Um, yeah, get, get your wife drunk. Get you drunk so that you pass out, and then the wife's left free. Rachel doesn't drink, so anytime they were passing oh. her, she just passed that along. So peach keen. Um, and um, interesting because yeah, Caitlin doesn't drink either. We both married wives that don't drink. Free taxis, not that. Well, Caitlin doesn't um, drive, so that's a bigger problem for me. Oh man, that's unfortunate. Um, so I remember I had a hot dog there, which was awesome. And probably Barcelona, I can't remember. I think I, I seem to remember it being like generic stuff, like popcorn. So it wasn't anything amazing, but yeah, by all means, if you if you've got any experiences of, of continental scrambles, you've been watching a game abroad, then definitely send that along to us at Glory Days of Gold on Twitter. I'm going to bring up something else from the. the well, just before bag. that, so I yeah. can't remember. I'm trying to find who it is, and I can't. I can't find it. Someone mentioned about the famous Kirky hot dog that they did for a while at Bayview. Do you not remember that? No, you might have been too too young. It was when Kirky was manager. They had the Kirky hot dog. Well, I was, I was definitely, um, and definitely. It, it wasn't a foot long either, which I would have been disappointed about if I was Kirky. <laughs> Brilliant. So I want to bring up um, an email that I had with Eric Brown this week, who definitely took exception to my my Pele comment from the the week before. So I got the, I'll, I'll read out the email that we got from Eric. So Lee has dismissed Pelly from being considered the greatest player ever um, because he didn't test himself, which I'm going to make sure uh, that our listeners understand was in capital letters. Um, and he said, interesting thought. Excluding the short MLS comeback, Pelly played his football between 1956 and 1974. I'm looking forward to Lee sharing his extensive knowledge of the Brazil, uh, Brazilian club football for that period and how he came to the conclusion that it was inferior to uh, Europe in the same era. So we had a little bit of an email exchange back and forward. Very, very amicable. Very, very amicable. It wasn't an argument. Like I say, I love an intellectual debate um, on football. And basically, um, I, I started off my reply was wondered who would be the first person to email. Because I knew that when I threw that line out, that there would definitely be a few nibbles on the old line. And like I said to you before, that football is a, a, entirely a, a game on opinion and you know not everybody's going to have the same one. I'm going to reiterate my, my thoughts on that one, was that Pele scored a lot of goals, which he um, counts were in friendlies, over 1,300 or whatever, scored against teams like the US Navy and, and things like that. And, and he counts them in his tally. My thoughts are, are more generally on the quality of opposition. So if you think about Messi, Ronaldo and Maradona and the, the quality of players that they come up against, and well, not maybe it's not so much the modern era for Maradona, but certainly if you look at um, Ronaldo and Messi, they, they're coming up against a lot more quality opposition, which is why I think that between them and probably Maradona as well, they deserve to be in more of a shout than um, than what Pelly was. So that was a, a nice email, um, and it was a great conversation to have with Eric. So thank you so much um, for well, sending that something. I, I would just want to point out that Pelly never played in MLS. It was the NASL back in the seventies because MLS didn't start till nineteen ninety six. Well, I, I got an email uh, from Glenn Walker and he covered a, a lot of, of things in it. 
Um, and one of them was actually to do with the, the whole sort of Pelly debate. So he, he just wants to add his tuppence in. He said that we both seemed reticent to claim Maradona's obvious superiority over Messi and Ronaldo. He says, yes, they are both great, great players, but they never reached the level that Diego Maradona did. Yeah, they have performed over a longer period of time, but in a completely different environment. They've both played their part in teams which were very good, but Maradona won things single-handedly for both club and country. Barca and Madrid would probably have won just as much without those two as they did with him. And yes, they did elevate those teams, but they were both in good teams. You couldn't say that about Napoli, and you couldn't say that about Argentina in 86. It was Maradona who won almost single-handedly those honours. Messi can't do it for his country and expected of him to be able to do it because of Maradona. Arguably, you could say that Ronaldo did just that when, when Portugal won the Euros, but he didn't play in the final or got injured early, but I think Portugal still won, which makes you think they were a no-bad side anyway. So... Yeah, that, I mean, that is a fair point. I was thinking about it, and I think Maradona probably, for me, does deserve to, to get the accolade. A uh, nah. couple, couple of other things. A <laughs> couple of other things that, that I'll just go over from, from Glenn's email, and we'll keep some for next week as well. But it was actually him that was talking about the Kirky hot dogs. I found it there. So anyway, best and worst food at grounds for him were both at, at New Bayview, and he spelled New N-E-A-U, going for the Barcelona thing there. If you N-O-U then, Glenn, come on. Ah, yeah. Wow, you're, you're going to get an angry email from Glenn. But for worst, he says, do you remember the Kirky hot dog? Fucking vile, so it was. A semi-heated up hot dog out of a tin on a frozen roll. They didn't always have the hot dog bun. He said, I'm sure I got it once and that was his one and only purchase. Uh, he does miss the chicken tikka pie at Bayview. I forgot about the chicken tikka pies at Bayview till he emailed that. I love those. He said, my God, they were good. But it was a four-napkin job. It was. You had to make a bib out of them, have it spread over your lap because they were so drippy. And no one wants a drippy lap. Um, did you ever get the chicken tikka pies at, at Bayview, Lee? They were tremendous, but they were messy. Anyway, so no, I think... Um... I've got a vague recollection of a tikka pie, but I, I can't remember where it was from. I did once have a chicken balty pie at Old Trafford, which was actually really good. So I will give the, the kudos to to United for that. But no, yeah, I think the, I got a chicken balty pie at Upton Park actually. Yeah, I, I mean, it's probably a puka one. Let's be honest. Um, but the yeah, there's there's some something that that strikes in my mind that we had something there. To be honest, I, I seem to remember us winning like the best pie in Scottish football like several times. I think that was yeah. I wonder if the Tika one might have been it because, like, as Glenn points out, you kind of had to adopt a weird eating posture when you were eating it. You're kind of bent double with your head near your knees because and that's just so you didn't have to watch the game. I the, it was so <laughs> hot and you didn't want to get those curry stains all all over you or the guy sitting in front of you. So yeah. So there's a couple of other things in Glenn's email that we'll cover in next week's show. But he also gives a shout out to the the, the East Indian guy that took over the, the pie hut at East Stirling where you got genuine Indian pakoras, badges, samosas. That was, that was fantastic. So, yep, yeah, keep, keep the emails, keep the mailbag coming. We'd love to have stuff like this to chat about. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I, I like to talk about nonsense stuff like that, and it's definitely good. And of course, if you've got any suggestions for a segment that you would like us to talk about, which we have had a few times, we got something today in the um, mailbag from Ross Hutchinson, a friend of the show. Hello, Ross. Yeah, I and, saw this. Very, <laughs> it, very weird. It gave me the absolute fear. So it's a Twitter page, and the at handle is footballers with, and it's basically all footballers that have been cartoonized with tits. Um, the one with Alan Brazil will haunt me till the day I die. Um, a man that I, I do really, really like. I think Alan Brazil is hilarious, but I don't think that I'll ever get that image out of my mind ever again. I, I also I know yeah I still want to know people's favorite hard men as well that we've maybe for, forgotten. Did did you ask Rachel what, who her favorite hard man was? Yeah, but she she gave me an elusive answer. She said something about definitely not you after a couple of minutes. So ah, sorry about um, big, big Steve down the down the Legion. Yeah, I, well, it's actually the otter's head. I think he drinks now. He's he's moved along because the Legion's been flattened for about two years. So um, yeah, that's think, it. Yeah. <laughs> I lived opposite. Well, kind of close to being opposite that. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah that's like a five minute walk from my house. I live in Woodside now. My God, they, they flattened. Oh, I, not the Legion I'm thinking. It's the Siswo I'm thinking of. The Siswo has also been flattened. Um, and yeah, it's now like a be like mini shop, outdoor shopping area. What? Siswo, yeah, the Siswo is now in a new building behind the single, one of the churches up the top end of the town next to the old fire station thing. Jeez. My God, they flattened the Siswo. They flattened the Legion. Tans Hall Primary School. I, know. I never made it back to Glenroth as my last trip over. I didn't have time. I was going to take a little drive through as I like to do, and I never got a chance to. Wow. When you come back, I'll I'll, I'll give you a tour. Of, mind that used to be there. Ah, it's not there anymore. Mind that used to be there. Ah, it's, it's not there. Aye, that's when you know you're getting old. <laughs> and back in my day, there used to be a, <laughs> used to be a pub over there. <laughs> uh, I, I we should probably wrap this up now because obviously I'm old. I need to go and have my afternoon nap. Yeah, and I want to go and get steaming, so let's do that. Well, actually, one final thing. I do want to give a plug to Nutmeg Magazine. I don't know if people are familiar with that. It's fantastic football journalism. It's a Scottish magazine. Uh, Daniel Gray is the editor, who's a guy that I've been wanting to, to sit down and have a chat with for a while. He writes a number of books as well that I really recommend, kind of for people my age. It's like looking, reminiscing about things that we miss at football and... I used to do a section on, I think it was my AFTN Scottish blog that was like things you don't see at the football anymore. And it's like, he's basically got three books, which is covering these kind of things. But in the latest issue of Nutmeg Magazine, it's got a, a feature on the whole East Fife, Cowden family. They think it's all over. STV News incident. I did an interview with Scott Fleming that put it together. He spoke to one of the guys from Cowden Beath. He tried to speak to the guy from STV News that put together a really shitty news report on it, where he basically just grabbed drunk people that weren't East Fife fans out the Bayview bar to give their thoughts on Cowden Beath. And they're all like, aye, they are so smelly, you know, and stuff like that. Surprisingly, the STV guy didn't want anything to do with, with doing an interview for the piece. Yeah, I could believe that actually, having watched the 
the the highlights of that a few times. But but the yeah, weird it, thing is, he's moved to Australia. I've moved to Canada, so Scott had to track us down all over the globe. It's a real fun piece. That, and Nutmeg in general is a really good magazine, so check it out. You can get hard copy, which is about hundred and forty odd pages. It's thick, thick, thick. But you can also get a, a PDF version to read online as well. Definitely, and also thank you to this week's show sponsor. That's Dave Garrow at Discovery Leather. Thanks so much for your continued support, Dave. And like I've mentioned already, if you're looking to get a last-minute Christmas present for a friend, loved one, someone that you don't like either but want to be generous to, then definitely have a look at Dave's wallets. They're, they're top quality, and I purchased one myself, and it's very nice. So, and I, I don't want you to give anything away because I know Rachel listens to the show, but I can't wait till after Christmas when we find out what leather gift you, you got, Rachel. Yeah, the old ball gag's not um, been going as tightly as it used to, so maybe get her another one. I've actually asked Dave to make a new one where one of the little holes in the middle to make it even easier. But anyway, that's a, a story for another show. That's our BDSM podcast once more. Yep. Michael, until then, do you want to tell listeners where they can find you online? You can find me on Twitter. Best to get me at AFTN Canada, but you can also get me on AFTN website. Check out both AFTN sites, AFTN.co.uk aftn.ca and of course on youtube aftn website it's got lots of old east fife stuff and things on that including the the kind family things and also aftn canada on youtube if you want to watch us doing a live watch along from the mls cup this will this might actually come out before we start it so if you're still up around 1 30 a.m on sunday morning you can tune in and see it but you can also watch it on demand I'm Lee Gillis. You can find me probably Twitter is the best place at LeeG1903, where you can find my various musings. But I actually tweeted Zach Braff from Scubs this week and he liked that. Probably up there for one of the best moments of my he, life. He liked one of your tweets. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, we're besties now. So I'm getting a bit too big for this podcast, but we'll keep doing it in the short term. Um, apart from that, you know, a, a great show again, Michael. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks to you all for listening and we'll see you next week. Until then. Take care, stay safe, keep calm, carry on, and more importantly, one the faith. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful, and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. <laughs>